0: Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Harry's is so confident you're going to love their blades, they'll give you their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com. fool. Just pay for shipping. It's Tuesday, January 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hell, joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor and Motley Fool Options, Jim Mueller, and from Hidden Gems, Abby Mallon. Happy Tuesday. Hey, Chris.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for being here. It's Academy Award Nominations Day. So, I spent at least a little bit of my morning watching the Academy Award nominations. and uh, It's appropriate that Netflix reported, and so that's what we're going to lead with. We're also going to get into an interesting new compensation plan for Elon Musk and uh, some news out of Johnson & Johnson. But let's start with shares of Netflix up more than 10% this morning. Fourth quarter profits and revenue, Jim, came in about as expected, but Netflix I mean, this is one of those companies
2: where it's clear that subscriber growth is the number no. one metric, and they kind of crushed it. They did crush it. They uh, they guided for about six point three million subscribers growth uh, year over year uh, in Q four, and they came in with like they beat that by about 2 million so like a 33% beat on this number and and management for Netflix has been really good about predicting what their subscriber growth would be and they tend to underpredict a little bit but i think this even this one surprised them a bit
0: i was going to say there's you know look there's a long history of successful companies sandbagging their numbers and at some point, the, the the really great ones, the true artists, and this was one more thing that Steve Jobs was great at. The true artists, in my mind, walk the fine line of sandbagging just a little, so that they have a, a better than expected beat. Yes, but I think so. you're right. This is this is one because in the past we've seen them. Oh, they came in, they got it for one number, and they beat it by a couple hundred thousand. Right. Two million
2: yeah yeah this uh, so I've been tracking their guidance for uh, like the over the last 10 years worth of quarters or something and something like that and they've missed like less than a handful of times uh, where the actual number came in lower and but their average they're a little about they're about one percent low on on the guidance and so you can really rely on what they do but uh, uh, this one two million extra uh, which boosted their uh, things all the way down the line. Abby what stood out to you when you looked at Netflix this quarter?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when you think about those subscriber growth numbers and relative to um, the number of people in the U.S., so they added almost two million customers in the U.S. alone. So they say that they now have more than half of all U.S. broadband households. I think when you think about that number, that seems pretty staggering. And you know, you assume every household has between two and four, five, six people. Even I think you know their reach. It's really hard to deny at this point.
2: And the, the penetration in the U.S. is still lower than where they're expecting it to end up. They said a few years ago, and Reed uh, Hastings, CEO Reed Hastings, uh, brought this up again in the call last night, saying, We targeted, we think we can reach between 60 and 90 million households in the U.S. And there's only like 110, 115 million households in the country. So they're really going for the high penetration, and they're now at 55 or so. So they're still under where they where they think they can get. So we've
0: talked before about their content costs, and that appears to be a line item that a lot of investors and a lot of analysts watch. And I'm not saying that's not something to be noticed this time around. What caught my attention, though, was their marketing spend. And on the call, talking about how they're increasing their marketing spend this year by more than fifty percent, and. I guess, I suppose that's another fine line that they have to walk because it's not just a matter of they're spending more money, it's where they're spending it. Because they're going to be, aren't they going to be spending that money on Facebook and YouTube, who on some level are in competition
2: with Netflix? Exactly. Um, well, On some level, in that Facebook has their own uh, ad-supported, user-produced video, Uh, so does YouTube, Uh, but they're more more competing against uh, the other over-the-top streaming on-demand sites like Hulu and Amazon Prime. Uh, But they're a test-and-learn company, just like we are here at the Fool, and they've they've tested out some ads on uh, like the latest movie on Bright. And said these these are working pretty well. We're getting a, a bump in our numbers, and so uh, we'll continue testing that and expand. And that's how they've approached a lot of things. They test out. That's how they sp- approached uh, streaming in the very in the very beginning. They tested it out. And say, hey, here's here's something we can think we can do, and uh, it turned out really well for them.
0: How tough must it be if you work at I'm glad you mentioned that once upon a time they were testing out streaming because this was the DVD by mail business how depressing do you think it is to work in that division right now at Netflix because that's I mean it's just it's it seems like every quarter that gets to be a smaller number of people
2: there are still people subscribing to the DVD by mail business interesting you should say that there was an article out today but I can't remember which organization put it out. Uh, looking at that very thing, and DVD got com- DVD.com is the name of the company, a holding of Netflix, and uh, uh, the workers there said, "We're, we're still." very much focused on the customer, make a good customer experience. We've gotten a lot more efficient on delivering DVDs. But we've also pulled back the number of distribution centers. I think they only have 17 left out of a high of 50 at one point. Um, and it's, it's kind of a sad experience <laughs> as, you watch the, as you watch these uh, subscriber numbers uh, slowly decline.
0: Last thing uh, on Netflix before we move on. Uh, I know it's early in 2018. But we have I think, the clubhouse leader in best non best sort of like one time charge for a company here's here's your leading candidate in two thousand eighteen right now i don 't know if you guys saw this. One of the things Netflix reported was a thirty nine million dollar non cash charge, and these are their words related to the societal reset around sexual harassment, which I think is their wordsmithing of. Uh, oh, yeah. Kevin Spacey, right? <laughs> we, yeah, we had this whole thing with Kevin Spacey, who's a star and executive producer of House of Cards. And oh, yeah, there's that. there's There's your clubhouse leader in that. Um, Tesla doesn't report earnings for another month, but they are making headlines today with a new compensation plan for CEO Elon Musk. Here are the broad strokes, Abby, No guaranteed salary or stock vesting over time, but instead, under this new plan, Elon Musk is going to get shares. Of stock by meeting various benchmarks, one of them being market cap for the company. Right now, the market cap is just under sixty billion dollars. Once they hit the one hundred billion dollar mark, and then for every additional fifty billion thereafter, he's going to get some grant of stock. That's part of it, right?
1: Yeah. So there's two sort of um, they made twelve tranches. There's two sort of metrics that they're looking at. The first is market cap. The first. Tranche is the 100 billion mark that you mentioned, and then it's 50 billion increments after that. And then the second tranche that they're looking, or the second group of that first tranche, is um, what they're calling operational milestones. So that's revenue targets and adjusted EBITDA, which is only adjusted for stock-based comp. But basically, there's targets in both of those categories, and he has to meet the target, like the first milestone in A and the first milestone in B, to get paid anything
0: operational goals that, as best I can tell, do not include vehicle production.
1: I mean, that's tied to revenues, right?
0: (laughs) I suppose it's tied to revenues, although as long as they keep doing this thing where it's like, give us the money up front and we'll get you the vehicle when we can.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't assume that that would be able to work for the next 10 years, but I agree that like, it's a little bit convoluted Given what investors are currently concerned about with this company.
0: I mean there is there is part of and I'm not a shareholder of the company. There is part of this plan that I look at and think, well, directionally, I think this is you know, this is something we talk about a lot is to what extent are the leaders of a company are their incentives tied to those of the investor? So if you're a shareholder of this company, you want to see the market cap going up. So tying part of his compensation to the market cap, that's that is alignment. That works, but I, I, I would be more impressed with this plan, Jim, if there was an operational goal that was tied specifically to vehicle production.
2: I'd rather see a compensation plan that's tied to something that, uh, as you say, is operational and in in the, the manager's control. Uh, market cap is is not at the whim of the manager, but getting vehicles produced or getting solar panels produced that's that's Elon Musk's job.
1: I guess I would argue though, like I actually like this plan. I think. In these like high-flying tech businesses, it's really easy to heavily compensate your CEOs. It's easy to justify that number. I think. I think no one would argue that he's um, probably one of the greatest minds of this generation. I would say. So, I actually don't mind this plan. I think. I full disclosure, I am a shareholder, but I also like. Not only does he get one percent for every step that he reaches, he also has to hold those shares for five years once they vest. So I think there is sort of a long-term incentive here. Um, I think if he wins, we all win. I like that aspect of this plan. I actually like this plan.
2: That is good. I do like that five-year holding period. And he is the biggest shareholder already, isn't he?
1: Currently, yeah. Yeah.
2: Let me
0: ask you this, because the this plan is contingent upon Elon Musk remaining CEO or becoming executive chairman and chief product officer. And some people are already speculating this plan paves the way for him to Go to that chairman role full time and install someone else as CEO. Three years from now, do you think Musk is still the CEO of this company, or do you think he's moved on to spend more time on SpaceX? He's executive chairman and he's installed someone else as CEO.
1: Yeah, I think it was a while back he actually made comments about how he wanted to stay CEO until the introduction of the Model Three, and then he said, "You know, we'll see from there." You know, and um, we've obviously passed that point, and. So I don't think that he's someone who necessarily ties himself down. I think he goes where opportunities are, and I, you know, I think obviously SpaceX is a huge project for him. I think he has a lot of visions and a lot of things that he is sort of dabbling in. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him step away, but I still. Um, Even if that were to happen, I feel comfortable with this plan.
2: Plus, if he ever gets to Mars like he wants to, it's kind of hard to be the CEO from that that far away. (laughs) That's tough distance. Um, Before
0: we move on, it's the start of a new year. People think about being smarter about their money. And one way you can do that, a sneaky way you can do that is with Harry's. You can save about $100 a year if you're a frequent shaver. And Harry's is a great shave at a good price. And that's why over three million guys have switched to Harry's. Including me, by the way. I've been a customer of Harry's for years, and Harry's is so confident you're going to love their blades, they'll give you their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com/fool. You just pay for shipping. The set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich. Lathering shave gel, which reminds me, I should probably take advantage of this since I'm running out of the shave gel at my house, Uh, and a travel blade cover. That's a $13 value for free when you sign up. So just cover the shipping to get your free trial set. Go to harrys.com/fool. That's harrys.com/fool. Yesterday, Monday, Johnson and Johnson shares hit a 52-week high. Today, those shares are falling a little bit after the healthcare giant posted a. Do I have this right? fourth quarter loss of nearly 11 billion dollars technically yes
2: <laughs> walk me through that uh, well a big part of that I was... feel
0: like the shares would be falling more than like two percent yeah. if they if, if it was no. a serious 11 billion dollar loss so
2: you may remember something called the uh, the tax bill from the end of last year I do and that is why they posted a big losses because they had um, it became law and so now uh, they part one of the provisions is that uh, they have a bunch of unremitted earnings from overseas that is now subject to tax, even uh, but at the lower rate. And so this is uh, a set aside. Uh, conti- uh, Contingency amount of, of money, about thirteen point six billion dollars or so. Though they did take pains to point out that as more details uh, come forward and and things work out, they'll be adjusting that. But that that's a one time hit to their earnings. And so if you back that out, then they actually saw about a ten percent increase in in net income for the year. Anything stand out to you, Abby?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know sometimes it's hard when companies are so big. It's sometimes surprising to see numbers move at such staggering rates. And I actually think that this was a great quarter and a great year for them, actually, surprisingly.
0: Yeah. There was a, a pretty healthy stretch of time where Johnson & Johnson, their, their earnings report was essentially a game of, which division are they going to apologize for? <laughs> which division is going to have the recall? which, And they they I don't want to jinx them, but they, they really have been in a pretty good stretch Operationally, even in quarters where they haven't hit the ball out of the park, at least they're not having the massive write downs that they've had in the past.
1: Yeah, pharmaceutical sales were up more than 8%, medical devices were up almost 6%, and worldwide consumer sales were up about 2.2%, sort of the weak spot this quarter, especially with their baby care and oral care business. But um, over the counter products and beauty products were a huge bright spot for them. So even in that quarter or that segment, not too. Anything too apologetic, I don't think.
0: So, Jim, you had uh, mentioned a story to me the other day um, that popped up last week. I th- and help me unpack this because I think this could be um, a, a very interesting thing to watch in the healthcare industry. And as I understand it, it is a group of hospitals led by, I believe, one based in Colorado. Inter- I think it's Intermountain Inter- Health. Healthcare. Intermountain Healthcare. And um, essentially, uh, leading a group of hospitals who have gotten fed up with the price <laughs> of drugs, and they've said, "You know what?
2: We're going to start making some of these on our own." Yeah, and it it's. It really shouldn't be that surprising. I mean, making generic drugs requires some expertise, but it's it's pretty much a recipe at this point. You def- just have to get the manufacturing approved by the FDA and make sure that the drug is working exactly as it should. But uh, this is a group of four hospitals, uh, groups uh, controlling about 450 hospitals in the U.S., out of a little over 5,300 or so, all told, so about 10% or so. And they said, look after the myelin uh, increased the Epiprin price and uh, Turing uh, increased the price on that uh Dapaprim, I think is the name of the drugs five thousand percent to 750 dollars a pill I mean they said and and many of the drugs are the generic drugs are uh, seeing shortages because the profits aren't very high on them and so the manufacturers of course don't want to make them because they're not very profitable but uh, it really affects people's health. And they said, we're fed up with this, and we're going to take AIM and put together a not-for-profit company to supply a steady supply of certain generics, which they haven't named. But uh, I think it's a great idea. And they have some uh, powerful people sitting on their uh, I don't know if you call it board of directors, but guiding counselor or whatever they call. Yeah, it. they've got an advisory board. Yeah, they have uh, uh, Clayton Christensen of Innovators Dilemma, uh, and they have a, a former governor and senator from I think it's Nebraska. Yeah,
0: Bob Kerry. Yeah.
2: So he. Do, th- do you
0: think they're anticipating yeah. some interactions yeah, with th- the yeah, FDA, I think they
2: are. But uh, with with an experienced politician like that, they have some firepower behind them. And what's even more interesting is that the veterans of, of the VA, the veteran. Veterans Administration, Administration. Um, hasn't given them any money, but they're very, very interested in what they're doing, and will probably be one of their biggest customers.
0: A uh, couple things before we wrap up. Um, I teased this out on Twitter yesterday. We are coming to San Francisco, and uh, we're putting together a listener meetup in early February at the Golden Gate Tap Room. That's in downtown San Francisco, Wednesday, February 7th. Save the date, people, if you're in the San Francisco area. Wednesday, February 7th, uh, 5 to 7 p.m., we're going to be at the Golden Gate Tap Room. Uh, just a meetup, just sort of a casual meetup. You can email marketfullory at fool.com and we'll send you a reminder. Um, I'm going to be there. Our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, is going to be there. Matt Argusinger, Christine Harges from Industry Focus. Abby Mallon, are you going to be there?
1: Um, I haven't booked my flight yet, but I'll let you know.
0: OK. A potential Abby Mallon <laughs> sighting. We'll see. Um, so, yeah, Wednesday, February 7th. If you're in the San Francisco area, we would love to meet up with you. Um, again, because it's Netflix, because it's uh, Academy Award nomination today, let's just wrap up with some sort of viewing recommendation. It doesn't have to be a movie. It doesn't even have to be a movie that's been out in the last 12 months. But, Abby, what's something you would recommend to our listeners?
1: Um, I'm a huge Wes Anderson film fan, so if you haven't looked at it yet, Moonrise Kingdom's on Netflix right now, and so is um, The Life of Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I haven't watched that one either, but I Bill Murray. Yeah, but I, it, I they're both on my watch list. Moonrise Kingdom I've already seen a million times, but they stay there.
0: Moonrise Kingdom, good enough. Jim Mueller, you, you scare me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Just instantly, Bill Murray. <laughs> Jim Mueller. For those not familiar, Jim Mueller. Not a huge go to the movies kind of guy. No, a lot of other passions in your life. Yes, movies not one of them. Probably not. There's got to be something you watch
2: though that you can recommend. So I watched the remake of Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy with uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Gary Old. Oldman, uh, Colin Firth, and Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, really enjoyed it, uh, but uh, a quirky view. If you're like me, I like to eat. Unfortunately, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I started watching uh, Somebody Feed Phil. Uh, which has Philip Rosenthal traveling around the world and eating things, and he's the producer of Chris. Help me out here. He's
0: the so Phil Rosenthal is the producer of the highly successful sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond. That's it. And there was a I I, I haven't seen um, somebody feed Phil. I saw I think I saw like a, a little teaser for it and maybe an ad on YouTube or something like that. But Phil Rosenthal is the star of. A hilarious documentary called "Exporting Raymond," and it is about him, because as happens in the world of, of television, if a, a show is popular in one company country, it'll get exported to another. Uh, maybe the the best recent example is The Office, which started as a limited series in. Uh, In the UK on the BBC, and is really helping Netflix. By the way, yes. And then comes to America and is is this you know with Steve Carell huge huge show. So everybody loves Raymond with Ray Romano, huge success in the US and other countries say hey we want to do that. So as the executive producer Phil Rosenthal goes (laughs) to Russia, oh awesome, and is trying to explain. it, It is it is such a great fish out of water. Documentary with incredibly uncomfortable and hilarious moments. with well, Only he looks
2: like a really fun guy to hang out with because he's uh, boating around Bangkok on their waterways and he's going to a food play a food market and getting quote unquote street food, uh, well, waterway food. Yeah, <laughs> and he uh, he goes to Gagan uh, uh, in Bangkok, which unfortunately since closed, but was rated the number one restaurant in Asia and the seventh best restaurant in the world, uh, Gagan Anand. Uh, Top top chef from India, yep. Uh, on this on this place on on the show and just watching him eat and enjoy it and say every time this is the best thing I've ever eaten and I know I've said that before but the
0: <laughs> that's great. Um, uh, I haven't seen Coco yet, but uh, we were talking about this Abby that uh, we haven't we haven't seen Coco but on the list it's on the list and uh, and congrats to. Uh, uh, our friend uh, Steve May at Pixar uh, and the whole team at Pixar for for that nomination, uh, best animated feature. Uh, but I'm going to recommend a movie, a documentary uh, that also got nominated for uh, best documentary feature, uh, and that's Abacus, Small Enough to Jail. And last year on Motley Fool Money, we had Steve James, the director, uh, come on and talk about this. This is a just a gripping story about a small. Family-run bank in New York City that was the one bank prosecuted in the wake of the Great Recession. Oh man! Um, And it's just—I will say this—the most surprising thing about the documentary, and it's—it's fantastic storytelling, was how funny it was because it's—it's a a family-run bank, so it's—it's this uh, older gentleman and um, a couple of his adult daughters who are involved in the bank, um, and it's just. There are some wonderfully funny family moments, but it's a it's a great movie. I'm totally, totally rooting for Abacus to win. Is that on Netflix? Uh, I don't know yet, but we'll check right after we're done taping, right when the credits roll. Jim Mueller, Abby Mallon, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.